It's Misha Youssef. This is Tell Them I Am. Since we're in the last stretch of Ramadan, I obviously need to talk to you about Laylatul Qadr. Muslims believe Laylatul Qadr is one of the most important nights of the year. The words Laylatul Qadr literally mean the night of divine power. You can also think of it as the fated night or the night of the decree, like when the laws of the universe make themselves clear. But there's a lot of mystery surrounding what Laylatul Qadr actually is. The surah that mentions it is really short, so I'm just going to read it. We have revealed this during the night of power. What will convey to you what the fated night is? The fated night is better than a thousand months. The angels and the spirit descend therein by permission of their God on every matter. It is peace. This till the rise of dawn. I think Laylatul Qadr is a metaphorical night of the soul or of civilization. The darkest night. When shit has gotten really bad and it can't get any worse. Stick with me. So you know that scene in The Dark Knight Rises, the third movie of the Dark Knight trilogy? When Bane, the villain, breaks Bruce Wayne's back and throws him into this deep, dark pit? Like Bruce Wayne is in a literal pit of despair with a broken back, the darkest, lowest possible point a human can experience. And he has to heal his back and strengthen himself so he can climb out of that deep, deep pit. But he also has to do it without a rope. So he has to mentally build himself up to embrace his fear. For me, in the Quran, Laylatul Qadr is that moment. The moment when it can't get any darker. When you have no choice but to face the darkness. To sit with your pain. To embrace your fear. Vulnerable as it might feel, it is also the moment you are most open to receiving peace, strength, power. My name is Alex Fox. I am a software engineer. I'm a tech founder. I grew up in Minnesota. I grew up in a house with my mom and my older sister. I was glued to my mother, like, all the time. We were, we were just like buddies. <laughs> she was my friend, she was my mother, um, she was my protector. We did a lot of things together. We would sing together. Um, we also used to just like lay on the floor together. And, you know, I think she just loved me. It was a given thing. It was, it was so real, without qualifications, without question. Alex's dad moves back to China when she's a little kid. He visits the U.S. like three or four times a year, so he's still part of the family. But having him there doesn't make the family feel more whole because his relationship with Alex's mom has completely deteriorated. And whenever he's around, things are so tense, just a word away from a blow-up. When my dad was home, and he wasn't home very often, everything was quiet. 
And then this would be interrupted by just screaming, shouting between my mom and my dad. Things hitting the wall. Knocking on the door from neighbors calling the police. And that's oftentimes how, how things would finally quiet down. I was very afraid of my father growing up. He was a very angry person, um, and I didn't know, you know, what would set him off. And, you know, he was the reason why we were unhappy. At one point, I was in middle school. They had a really big fight. My dad came up to our room my sister and I, he came up to our room. He said, I can't be a part of this family anymore. At the time, Alex is about 10 and her sister is 14. Like, I was so relieved. For me, this was like our freedom. We don't have to pretend to like try to be this family with my father. We don't have to deal with his anger, his unhappiness, anything about him, and we're going to just be rid of him. Sometime after this fight, my mom had found an apartment for the three of us, and she signed a lease, and I don't even know how to describe what happened the week we were supposed to move in, she died. She wasn't sick. Um, she collapsed one day and, and didn't wake up. She had a brain aneurysm. They're all devastated. But Alex's dad snaps into action. He happened to be visiting at the time, so he finds an apartment in the city for his daughters. It's on the 12th floor of this big concrete building. And he gets them settled. Alex is 12, and her sister is 16. He stayed with us for a little bit, and then he had to go back to China. So he leaves them, a 12-year-old and a 16-year-old, all by themselves. And it goes exactly as you'd expect. We fought all the time. She really resented being in a position of being asked to be responsible for me. And I think we were just both angry and sad and also lost. But um, when I was 14, my sister left for college. And then Alex is really alone. Her dad pays rent and sends her some money for food, but she's responsible for everything. Cleaning, studying, getting herself to school, feeding herself when money runs low. During that period of time, I was really scared. I remember there was always like a hum in the hallway from the lighting, and the light above my door was always flickering. You know, when I would get home from school, I would kind of like run down the hall to my unit and like open the door, close the door quickly, turn on all the lights and turn on the TV. Busy five game slate last. 
and just like watch TV until I couldn't keep my eyes open anymore. I used to sleep with a baseball bat in my bed. Alex has a really hard time in high school. Her grades suffer. She can't connect with anyone. She's so busy just trying to make it through each day that she can't even process her grief. It seems like her dad and her sister move on from the death of her mom. But for Alex, who's all alone, the wound is still raw. There were times um, that we would meet the three of us. Inevitably, there would be some kind of explosion. To me, it seemed like they both had these rich and fulfilling lives. And I would think to myself, I miss my mom. And besides that, there's nothing that I care about. And it would make me really sad. And it would make me feel really different from the two other people who knew her. Fifteen years go by, and Alex is still grieving, to the point that one night last year, the sadness just seems unbearable. I felt very alone. I wanted a parent. So she calls the only one she has left. I called my dad. It was like 3 a.m. And I was crying. I was sobbing. Baba, I... What is wrong with me? I'm so sad. I'm so sad. I keep thinking my life is going... Like, things will get easier, but it doesn't get easier. I just... I'm so sad. I'm in so much pain. He said, okay, I want to tell you a story. And he starts to tell me the story about growing up as a boy in Liaoning. When he was a little kid, the Cultural Revolution was happening. And his family lived next to this couple with four boys. The youngest of the boys was about a decade older than Alex's dad. So one day, a communist group shows up outside the neighbor's home. They barge into the neighbor's house, grab the dad, and shoot him. And then they leave. The mom and the sons are shocked. They're devastated for a long time. But then a few months go by, and they start trying to piece their lives back together. But no matter how much time passes, the youngest son struggles. It's like the grief becomes a part of him and he never bounces back. He becomes unpredictable. He randomly disappears for weeks. He can't really talk to people. A lot of people in Liaoning start to get scared of him, but not Alex's dad. The younger brother always, you know, played with my dad. My dad was just a kid, and he would take my dad to um, the river and, and to set some traps for fish, you know, take him around town. And he told me, you know, I loved him. I loved this brother. He was like a parent to me. 
Alex's dad and the neighbor's youngest son keep hanging out. But Alex's grandma isn't okay with it. She worries about the neighbor's boy's influence on her son. So she started hiding my dad, like, in neighbor's houses when the boy would come around. And um, my dad told me the last time he saw the brother, it was through the, a window at a neighbor's house and, and wasn't able to say anything to him. Alex's grandparents, her dad's family, eventually move. A decade goes by, and a letter arrives. It's from their old neighbors, one of the older sons. And he tells them the youngest had laid himself down across the tracks of an oncoming train. My dad tells me the story, and and he says, but, you know, just imagine how it could have been different if people had been more accepting of him. Imagine if we had given him other ways to deal with his pain. And I said, Baba, I'm in pain. I'm in pain, too. And he said, I know, and I don't know what to do. I think the reason he told me this story was because he wanted to show me that. He understood that I was experiencing something that he could not describe and that he was not familiar with, but he could recognize. And wanted it to be okay. It was unexpected and tender. And I felt like my father loves me. Tell Them I Am is presented by Higher Ground Audio and Spotify and produced by Dustlight Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Misha Youssef. The executive producers at Higher Ground Audio are Dan Fearman, Mukta Mohan, and Anna Holmes. Janae Maribel is editorial assistant. From Dustlight Productions, Mary Knopf is our executive producer. Ariana Garib-Lee and Jonathan Shiflett are our producers. Arwen Nix is our editor. Valeria Alarcon is our apprentice. This episode was written by me, Ariana Garibli, Arwen Nix, and Mary Knopf. It was sound designed by Ariana Garibli. Valentina Rivera is our engineer. David Leinard is our composer and made our gorgeous original music. Emin Ahmed is our illustrator and the creator of our episodic art. Elizabeth Goodspeed made our amazing series tile art. Special thanks to Rachel Garcia, our development and operations coordinator. From Spotify, executive producers are Daniel Eck, Don Ostroff, and Courtney Holt. This podcast was originally a production of LAS Studios.